I wanted to, uh, before we introduce our guest speaker today, we uh, just had a great first service, and uh, it was awesome to gather and to hear kind of the stories. And so you're going to be hearing some hard things today, but they're hard things that will help us to shape our prayers. Amen? But I wanted to take a moment first to pray for the American election. <laughs> Amen? I was in Texas uh, during the last American election, and I have to say this sincerely. Um, people were shocked at the outcome of that election. Even in Texas, they were shocked at the outcome of that election. And I say that to say this, God is on the throne. And whom he wants to be seated in that presidential seat, probably the most powerful nation on earth that shapes so many other things that happen in the world, I think it's important for us to pray. As we are the largest trading partner with the United States, all these things affect us as well. Amen? But more importantly, we pray for what God wants to do within the United States, and we want to just have a prayer of agreement that God can turn seas into highways. Amen? He can do what he wants, and we want to agree together and touch that as done. So why don't you just extend your hand in the air because you're praying for God to move. If you want to point south, good luck with that, trying to figure it out. But I think you're, you're heading, are you guys pointing north right now? Yeah, I'm the only one pointing south, so that we'll, together, we'll, we're still bound together, amen? So, Father God, we just thank you for your goodness, Lord, and we declare your sovereignty over this election, Father God. Lord, we see you as awesome in every way, and we do bless the United States of America, Father God. We pray for righteousness to be exalted in their nation, in our nation, and in all the nations of the earth, Lord God. We bless you, and we thank you, God, for such a time as this. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of righteousness, the kingdom of justice, peace, and joy is so important in our world today. And we say thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen and amen. Well, some of you older folks like myself uh, might recognize our guest speaker uh, as being a sportscaster in Edmonton. Anybody remember when Greg Musselman was a sportscaster for ITV? And uh, soon to be global. That's right. So a few claps for the older folks there. It took them a while to get their hands moving like me. So amen. But uh, uh, we're just so thankful today that uh, Greg and his wife Arlene, who reside in the St. Albert area, right, are here serving. Greg has been in the ministry for many years and with the Voice of Martyr since 2003, serving faithfully in that ministry. And uh, we're just so excited to have him come and to share today. So why don't you welcome Greg Musselman as he comes to preach the word of the Lord. Uh, good morning, saints. Morning. I heard you gave Greg a nice ovation. Uh, they still love you, brother. It's good to be here, and uh, you know what? It's exciting what God is doing in the earth. And uh, one of the, oh, you're taking a picture? You want, did you get a good? Okay, just hang on now. Okay, ready? Okay. Um, yeah, uh, today is All Hallows Day. Did you know that? Because last night was All Hallows Eve, and uh, so it means All Saints Day. And did you know that we're all saints? You know, if you're in Jesus, you are a saint. It's not just limited to people in history. It is all of us that know Jesus. Later, we're going to have 
uh, commune together. It may be in a, we'll have to use our creativity here. Um, but you know what? We are followers of Jesus, and because of that, we have a great hope. And so, you know, as I talk today about uh, persecution, and one of the verses I, I probably, I would say the verse that I've probably quoted the most in the last 20 years as I've traveled around the world and across Canada uh, in, in meetings is if one part of the body suffers, the Bible says, we all suffer. And when the Apostle Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, which was kind of a messed up church, but he was reminding them that we all have a part to play. And so my prayer is, and I'm going to pray in just a moment, but if you would enter into this kind of prayer, because there's so many mysteries about God's kingdom, and I think, oh, how do I actually suffer with those who suffer? Or as it says in Hebrews 13:3, how do I remember those in prison as if I were in prison with them? You know, 30,000 North Koreans in concentration camps, hundreds of believers in a little country called Eritrea in shipping containers in military prisons because of their faith in Jesus, in Vietnam, in, you go around the world, Iran, and just so many places where it's so difficult. So let's just stand for a moment, if that's okay. Father, thank you that we can be in your presence. And even as we were singing about fire, I just pray that you continue to send that fire into our hearts. As Paul said to Timothy, that fanning the flame of fire. Some of us have been around in the kingdom of God for a long time. Pray that we would not lose that passion, that desire to serve Jesus, whether we're young or old. And Lord, I pray even as this verse that we've just quoted here, one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. Lord, what an incredible privilege it is to suffer with those that are suffering. And even as the Bible says that we've been granted to believe in you, but also to suffer with you and to suffer with your people. Lord, I pray that you just help us maybe, I, I, and I pray that for myself, even moving a little closer to understanding what that actually means. Because when we enter into suffering, it's hard. But there's something so special about that. And I pray that you'd help us do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. A couple of things I'd like to mention uh, as we get started here. Um, I brought a, a book. It's called Closer to the Fire, which uh, is very appropriate, I think, in terms of what we were talking about. You know, I, after I traveled for about 10 years or so, uh, and I'd gathered hundreds of stories of persecuted Christians, my wife said, why don't you write that down in a book? I said, well, I'm a broadcaster and a preacher. I'm not an author. But uh, with some help from my friends, I was able to get this book together. It's been translated into Finnish and also into Urdu and Pakistan. Uh, I've taught a course out there in Pakistan and other places called The Theology of Persecution and Discipleship. I mean, it seems kind of, to me, it felt a little bit weird. Here I am teaching in Pakistan to Christians that have suffered, and some of them I had interviewed earlier in the week, and I heard just the horrific stories of what they were enduring for their faith in Jesus, and knowing some of these young Bible school students were going to be going into northern Pakistan to preach the gospel amongst the Taliban, a radical Islamic group. But the reality is that when you follow Jesus, there's going to be a cost to pay. And, you know, some of the things that I think about is that, you know, when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, well, the cross, first century, was a brutal execution. And, and I'm thinking of actually writing another book 
um, calling it an inconvenient theology. And I want to start out with drink my blood, eat my flesh. Because if I was the public relations guy for Jesus, I'd have said, no, 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 no. Don't do that. They're all going to leave. And most of them did. But then Peter said, well, well, where else is there to go? After Jesus' question, what about you? And there is no other place to go. It's Jesus. And that's why people are willing to die for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know why I was born in Canada. Why my grandparents on one side came from the United States, the other came from Norway, and then I've been able to experience the freedom that I have. But I can tell you that there is an incredible responsibility for us that have been born in this part of the world, and there's also an incredible price because of the deception with the materialism and all the things, and even some of the theologies and the winds of doctrine that blow through the churches to tickle our ears. I think we're getting at a point in our country where that's just not going to be acceptable anymore. So one of the things that is important is that as we pray for the persecuted church is to hear their stories. And I have some newsletters out there as well. And it's important not only to hear their stories and the suffering, but also to hear the victories uh, that they had. So I'd encourage you to do that and go to our website, vomcanada.com, if you're watching this online here. Uh, we also have what's called the Persecution and Prayer Alert, which comes out every week. And uh, it's three stories, and I was going to share a few of the ones that have been on the recent um, Voice of the Martyrs website, then also coming out an email. Because one of the things, as you hear the stories, you understand that this is a reality. And I'll be honest, there's times when I want to shut this stuff up too. I don't want to hear about all the suffering that's going on in our world, especially amongst our brothers and sisters. Lord, can I, you know, I just want to get away from this. And yet, he says, no, this is what I called you to. Okay, well, then I want to get out of here. No, you're supposed to be here for now and continue to, to do it. I mean, it's not easy. So one of the stories that we have been following, and this, again, as a dad, that these, these are the ones that break my heart. Uh, there's a couple in Iran. Uh, their name is Sam and Miriam. And uh, they adopted this beautiful little girl named Lydia from an orphanage in Iran. Uh, they had tried for many years to have children. Uh, that didn't happen for them. You know, for, it's kind of hard for me to relate to that, in a sense, because we had four kids, and uh, my wife got pregnant on our honeymoon, so that was not an issue. But I know a lot of, and, and say maybe some of you in this room, um, have, you know, wanted to have kids, and that hasn't happened. So this couple goes to this orphanage in Iran, and they adopt this beautiful little girl. Well, that was last year. Then several months later, because of their activities in the underground church in Iran, which is illegal, and I also might add that Iran has the fastest growth rate of any church in the world. And that's under an Islamic oppressive government that is trying to stop the spread of Christianity. And that's the, the dilemma that we deal with is, okay, when there's oppression and persecution, and I also might mention when the persecution is a result of the growth of the church, that's where it gets hit hard. If it's a state church or it's a very nominal Christianity, it's like they can get squashed down pretty fast. But there is always a remnant. So Iran is growing incredibly. I have a friend of mine, his name is Dr. Hermo Shariat, former Muslim and now a Christian leader down in Texas, a ministry called Iran Alive Ministries. And he was telling me that since COVID, and they were getting about 50 calls a week from Iran, they broadcast on satellite television right into, into Iran, and, they're, and it's very dangerous to, you know, to make phone calls, phones are bugged and all the rest of it. But he said they were getting about 50 people a week accepting Jesus. And we're excited about that. That's one of the ministries we partner with. 
Praise the Lord. Iranians are coming to know Jesus. He says, since COVID, like all of us have had to be creative. I'm doing 100 Huntley Street in my basement at home and uh, just a few kilometers from here. I mean, we've had to adjust. You guys have had to adjust. I think it's actually, it's horrible that people are getting sick and dying, but it's also shaking us up in terms of our, of our faith. What would he believe? What are we willing to stand for? And so these people now are calling the ministry center at great risk. And now since COVID, 500 a week are calling in. And so it's amazing. And my friend Hermosia, again, you can go to our website and see the interview with him. But, uh, you know, he's written a new book talking about his experience, you know, coming to faith from a Muslim background in America. And Joel Rosenberg, somebody you know him. And uh, he actually calls him the Billy Graham of Iran. And one thing Billy Graham didn't do was ever preach in Iran. But uh, through television, and, and they're, they're reaching millions, six million people a day. And Hermos, when he first came to Jesus, he said, I want to reach a million Muslims for Jesus. Well, that's a pretty big, tall order. Well, they're seeing that. That is being lived out. In fact, one of the things that I read from Joel Rosenberg, and, and I've heard this from other mission organizations, you probably heard as well, the last 40 to 50 years, more Muslims have become Christians than the previous 1,400 years of Islam. I have many friends from Muslim backgrounds, and they are so on fire for Jesus after, you know, the religion part of it. And coming into a relationship with Jesus was absolutely phenomenal. But while, the, you know, we can celebrate, and yeah, that's awesome, man. The kingdom of God is moving forward. People are coming to know Jesus. The sugar, by the way, is kicking in. You know, you know those little chocolate bars? Like, you don't think one will hurt you? But like 25 or 30 later, you know, anyway. And then the coffee mix. So it's going to get wild in here. I, are you okay with that? Okay. <laughs> Okay. But here's the deal. When the kingdom of God starts to move forward, guess what happens? The persecution increases. So this couple, they, they adopt this little baby. They're excited. They're, gonna, they're parents, but they're working in the underground church. They get arrested. He is given a one-year jail sentence and one year of exile. She's a nurse, said, you'll never work again. They have taken the little child away from them and have put her back in the orphanage because they didn't know her parentage. We don't know if she's Muslim or what, you know, Christian or whatever, but they didn't know, so she's considered Muslim. They have appealed the sentence and they have lost. So what I do, and I would encourage you to do this, is to print these out, you know, off our website or email, put them in your Bible, and when you do your devotional in the morning, pray. And you'll spend time probably crying as I do when I read some of these stories. Another one that we've been following, again, I get touched so much by the family ones, but there's a lady uh, in Pakistan, her name is Marilyn, she has four young children, and her husband in 2013 was given a 10-year jail sentence for blasphemy. And so he's been in prison since 2013. You go to the next one. And as a result of that, and there you see him with the chains on, and uh, he was hoping to be released soon. And the reason that he was arrested, he, in his job, he was working in a factory, and his supervisor tried to convince him to become a Muslim. There's only 2% or less Christians in Pakistan. It's, it's the Islamic Republic of Pakistan. It's very, very hard for Christians. Uh, I've helped in connect some churches in Canada to Muslim people and to get them into Canada after they've gone to Thailand. And again, Voice of the Martyrs, our ministry is to keep the Christians in the country to be the light. 
But as a dad, knowing that my girls could be taken from me and forced into marriages, I'm going to get out of there in, unless the Lord says something specific. You, you know, you've got you to gotta know these things. And I don't begrudge anybody that leaves these places, but this brother here, he now, as a result of, of these blasphemy charges, and what happened was his employer tried to convince him to become a Muslim. Uh, he kept refusing that. No, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And uh, so his employer got a hold of his phone, sent some text messages to his phone saying that, you know, Muhammad's a false prophet and something against the Quran. Anyway, he was charged with blasphemy. And just recently, they have now extended that blasphemy charge to death. As a result, his wife Marilyn and four children are currently in hiding as a result of the situation. So again, these are, we see the pictures, we see their faces. That's my brother. He's closer to me in the spirit than family members that aren't in a relationship with Jesus. And so that's what it is to, to, to go through it. And again, I, I get excited about what God is doing. I consider it an incredible privilege to be able to share the stories. I believe that's why when I look back in my life, you know, journey in, in broadcasting and sportscasting, and I'm going to be the next great sportscaster, the Lord takes those skills and then He redirects them, and I'm so grateful that He has. Now, China is a country is absolutely phenomenal when it comes to growth. I mean, there's at least 100 million, and you can go to the next one, at least 100 million Christians, and it's probably more like 120, 130 million. 30 million or so would be in what's called the Three Self Patriotic Church. That is the government controlled church. You can't preach Daniel, you can't preach Revelation. Why can't you preach those books? Because it talks of another kingdom. And the kingdom of God is above it. You know, like even we're, this U.S. election, I mean, it's got a lot of people pretty bent out of shape and there's so much division. I would say at this moment, there's probably more prayers going up for the United States of America in the history because this is an important election. But regardless of what happens on Tuesday and then as they count all the ballots and who knows what's going to go on, chaos could ensue in, in this whole process. But God is on the throne and He will not be recalled. And we don't get to vote because He's there forever. And we get to be with him forever. That's the, the, see, that's the thing. As long as, when you, as long as you understand as I'm telling these stories that this isn't how it ends. I had one of those moments this week. I thought, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm sick of this. When I hear these stories and all the things that are going on, and yet I go, nope, i got to be here. You know, I've, you know, i got my wife, my kids, i got my grandkids. I want them to understand that Jesus is the most important decision you can make in your life. So the church is growing in China. And Purdue University, it's a research uh, university in the United States from a secular perspective, just based on the growth of the church, by the year 2030, 95 more million people are going to come to Jesus. And there will be more Christians in China than any country in the world. And that's under oppression, persecution, coming and destroying the homes of Christians. It's absolutely brutal what's happening to the church in terms of persecution. And recently I talked to my friend Shushuan Fu, Bob Fu, he goes by, and uh, he's with a ministry that we work with called China Aid. And I recently talked to him and he said this persecution right now is unprecedented. Let's go to it.
It is uh, the worst since uh, the Cultural Revolution of Chairman Mao in 1960s. And you know, Greg, we used to talk about you know, persecution because of uh, not registration in the government, uh, persecution because the church has grown too fast or too big. But now under this uh, pretext of uh, COVID-19 coronavirus, um, the Chinese Communist Party has intensified its persecution by banning all the church activities, even those services or worship uh, or prayer meetings in believers' own homes uh, with their own family members, and even to call for a prayer meeting online is declared illegal and subject to the believers for detention. Why are they doing that, Bob? I mean, why, why is that happening now? Why is there this uh, thrust of persecution against Christians and the clampdown? There are kind of uh, a few factors. Uh, number one, of course, the Chinese Communist Party took advantage of this uh, COVID-19 coronavirus by telling believers, uh, of course, uh, including the government-sanctioned churches, stop gathering and uh, even among uh, like family members and no more gathering in the name of uh, uh, coronavirus uh, prevention. And number two is really uh, contribute to the newly uh, effected regulation on religious affairs. Uh, the government had been uh, engaging this uh, so-called uh, sanitization campaign. The sanitization is nothing but uh, the uh, fastification, you know, to be like uh, anybody has to be compatible with communist ideology. If uh, a believer or a clergyman in the government sanctions church uh, is, not, is found not complying to uh, the total absolute loyalty uh, to the communist party leader Xi Jinping, and ironically Xi Jinping's portrait was even put on the church pulpit along with Chairman Mao, and uh, the first line item of worship, um, uh, you know, uh, by the government sanctioned church before COVID-19 uh, was to sing the Communist Party's national anthem. So this is called uh, uh, the synthesization, like, uh, you know, uh, to be like Chinese uh, has to be like, uh, identify with the Chinese Communist Party. So that's the ideological uh, uh, adherence requirement uh, make this persecution uh, very, very worse than the previous times. And that's what gets Christians in trouble in China because they won't go along with the ideology of the communist government. You can find the same in India, which uh, under the BJP party, um, Prime Minister Modi, is that if you are Indian, you are to be Hindu. If you're in North Korea, if you're not under the Juche system, under the Kim dynasty, and you won't follow along with that, which if you follow the Juche or know the Juche system, all it is is a ripoff of the Bible. And so when Christians come along, they expose that. And it's similar to what was facing the early church. They wouldn't worship Caesar, they worship Jesus. And that becomes, you know, whether it's China and communism or Hinduism in India or Buddhism in Sri Lanka. I mean, you go all over the world, Islam, whatever it is, you find that the believers, we have another, we're in another kingdom. Our citizenship is in heaven. And I love Canada. I'm a proud Canadian. You know, I love this country. I'm glad I live here and the freedoms I enjoy and living in Alberta. It's, it's, it's amazing.
but this is not where my final stop is. I'm just passing through. The Bible says that we are strangers and aliens. Now, don't go out of your way to be an alien um, or weird, but that's the reality. We belong to another kingdom. Now, in China, as I mentioned, go to the, the next slide here. China is a country that is, is growing, and because of that, the government is getting nervous, even against the three self-patriotic communist government-controlled churches. And you may have seen this on the news or heard about this, but thousands and thousands of crosses have been ripped down from churches all over China. And of course, those are the government churches because the underground churches or the house churches, they don't have crosses on their building. But the passion, next one, the passion that these believers have is so vital even to us. You can go to the next slide. Because, and, and that's what I love about the body of Christ, that we're all different. And, you know, and now I'm glad when I see ethnic folks, and well, we're all ethnics in reality, but, you know, but when we see people of different groups, and, and as I've traveled, and you go to China, and you're with these people, and you see that passion, or you're in Africa, and you see the zeal, you know, South America, wherever you go, there's this amazing part of, that we get to tap into as the body of Christ. It's, it's absolutely amazing. And I, I mean, I love going to Africa because that's where I can just totally just unleash and just give her full bullets. They catch, they know that I'm not, you know, African by the way that I dance, but I try. Um, but the passion is there. Go to the next one. Now, Bob Fu, my friend, uh, we have traveled together. We were in South America doing meetings and I've interviewed him a number of times. And uh, he's a good friend of our ministry. He's been here in Canada. And a few weeks ago, he was in Washington, D.C. They were at a prayer meeting and they were praying that the communist government leaders would repent and come to Jesus. And he is an, he's considered an antagonistic to the communist government in China because he continues to bring awareness of the persecution. In fact, when I was in China, uh, we were actually taken into custody by the Chinese uh, government officials and we were with his organization. He's a phenomenal guy. But while that was happening, at his home in Midland, Texas, a bunch of vehicles pull up without a state license plates, and start protesting. Bob Fu is a phony pastor. He's an evil man. And then they're accusing him of, you know, sexual misconduct and misappropriation of funds and all these things. Of course, we know this is just fake and not true. And uh, there's this billionaire in China. His name is Go Wengi. And he has gone online and stated, he's Chinese, and he has stated that he is going to eliminate Bob Fu and other dissidents. Now, it's, it's hard to follow sometimes these stories because this billionaire was actually left China under a cloud of suspicion for fraud. So he's on the outs, it appears, with the Chinese government. But he may be trying to gain favor with them by accusing Bob Fu and, and the others of being Chinese spies. Things are so serious that the FBI has stepped in. We're talking Midland, Texas. And he is now in hiding with his wife, Heidi, and their children. So when you think of our friend Bob Fu, please be praying for him. Uh, I mean, he's not a spy. He's, a, he's an honorable, godly, and amazing man. Next one, please. This is uh, Pastor Loan Andini, and uh, he is a denominational leader in Nigeria. He's involved with the Christian Association of Nigeria and also the Church of Brethren. And if you're familiar with Nigeria, most of the north is Muslim, most of the south is Christian, and then you've got places in the middle called Plateau State. I've been there several times in a city called Joss. 
where a lot of the missionaries were living and having their children and, and then reaching into the north. Well, what happened is they reached into the north, people started to become Christians in the north. But then this group called the Boko Haram, militant Islamic group, they're going, no, these, everybody there has to be Muslim and their brand of Islam. I mean, they don't just kill Christians, they also kill other Muslims. They're, they're brutal. And even, well, even the first six months of this year, more than 600 followers of Jesus have been killed, including children. And I've seen the video, and again, you can go onto our website and look at it if you want, but where you see these massive funerals and with all these children that look like they're just, just like they're sleeping. It is horrendous. Nigeria is, it's such a painful, painful situation. I was actually on a Zoom call last weekend and we were praying for Nigeria because things have now even heated up with the, the police forces that were set up and we're just going around shooting and killing people. And it, it's, there's just so much violence there. And yet the church is growing because of brothers like Pastor Luan. Well, he was kidnapped earlier this year by Boko Haram. And then they forced him to make a video now, it, it, it's a little hard to hear, but he is talking about wanting to be back with his family and even the peace. And just think, he, as he is saying this, you don't see it in the shot, but I imagine there's guns at his head. Or they're telling him, if you don't say what we want you to say, we'll kill you. And this is what was put on the internet. Let's go with it. By the grace of God, I'll be together with my, uh, my wife, my children, and all my colleagues. If the opportunity have not been granted, maybe it is a will of God. All person, all people, close and far, colleagues and other wishes to be patient. Don't cry, don't worry, but thank God for everything. Thank you. Don't worry. Two and a half later, weeks after he made that video and, and he had been kidnapped, it appeared for money, but he was executed. And he leaves behind a wife and children. We heard of another Nigerian pastor that was just kidnapped a few days ago. He is also being held captive, Pastor Zongo. So please remember to be praying for these faithful, wonderful people. And the Church of Brethren, which is in northeastern Nigeria, it's about 100 kilometers from a place called Chabak. Do you know, heard about the Chabak girls? Some of you know that? Um, there was 267 schoolgirls in 2004 that were kidnapped, abducted by Boko Haram. Uh, there was a lot of international pressure put on. Uh, the majority of those girls were from his church and that denomination, the Church of the Brethren. 107 of the 267 were freed, and the effort is continuing to have more freed. It is a horrible situation. We know that some of the girls have died, and in the days and months after this had happened, uh, and that was from a, a secular news report that several of the mothers had died for medical reasons. Probably broken heart, I think, that would probably happen. And again, sometimes, you know, as I'm doing these interviews, you know, and, and, and I'm setting up the camera and I'm listening to it and I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I've got to get the certain shot and, you know, the audio is good. I'm, am I understanding the translation? And I'm hearing the story and sometimes I break down. I try to ask a question, and I just say, how can you handle it? One of the stories I write about in the book, a lady named Hajara, she lost nine family members, her husband, grandchildren, children, 
And, and she was just weeping. And I said, how do you deal with this? She said, because I know a day is coming when all the tears and the pain and the suffering will be over. This is what motivates me. You know, I, I heard uh, actually on the radio the other day, and you guys probably appreciate this. You're over 50, right? Just a little bit. Okay. Is that when you get to 50, you start to care less what people think of you. Like, I feel bad for my kids. You know, with the social media, we didn't have to deal with all that stuff. You know, you younger folks. Now I don't care, you know. I look in the mirror sometimes, and I go, yeah, I still look pretty good, I think. <laughs> Especially when I'm on Huntley Street, you know, they pile the makeup on, they got the lights, and I go... And I, you know, I take a picture of that and I send it to my kids. Hey, Dad's looking pretty good, eh? You know? Then I come home. Dad, you don't look like you do on TV. No. <laughs> but you don't, you, don't, you don't care so much. And, but, but in, a, in a part of that, it's very freeing because we know that when we die, if we're in Jesus, we spend eternity with Him. And this is just a little beep on the dial and then whew, we'll be with Him. That's how we can make sense of situations like this brave pastor who, you know, I want to go back and be with my family. But if I don't, don't worry. And, uh, you know, and, and I've said this before, even this morning again too, is that I've talked to my wife, Arlene, and I said, you know, if I'm in a situation, because we go into the hostile areas. Sometimes, how did I go from being a sportscaster in a nice studio in South Edmonton to the front lines in Baghdad, Iraq, or some of the places that we have been. I, I go, I, I just don't know how this has happened. I, I got tricked into it or something. And, but I said, Darlene, you know, if we ever get in the situation where we are under threat and, and I'm given that choice, deny Jesus or die, I need you to tell me, you know, my wife to tell me that I have her permission to die for Jesus. Because if that was me, and I'm here, and I got these guns, you know, you know, accept Islam or, or whatever religion, deny your Jesus, everything in my mind is going to be my wife and my kids and now my grandkids and my friends. Part of you saying, you know what, I'm just moments away from seeing the King of Kings. But there's also the human attachment. I want to go home. You know, I've, I, I don't know how many trips I've taken, let's say 50, 60, or 80, or whatever trips overseas. My record is 80 and 0 coming back. And that's great if you're a boxer. 80 and 1 is good if you're a boxer. 80 and 1 is not good if you're, you know, in a persecuted nation, because that probably means that you have died. But we have to, we, see, one of the things that I, and I think this is because of the, the environment we live in Canada. We don't often make those, you know, declarations. Okay, if you want to follow Jesus, take up your cross and follow him. Or Jesus himself, when he's got these, all these people around. Man, this guy's like an awesome teacher. And he starts talking about eating flesh and drinking blood. I'm out. No more. And then, you know, the, the public relations guy, Jesus. I thought you wanted to, you know, grow something here. What are you talking about? Like, you're, you're turning people off. And he's, let him go. And then Peter, standing there bewildered, and Jesus looks at, what about you? Where else do I go? There's nowhere else to go. So why would you deny Jesus for the sake of comfort or even your life? But we're human beings. 
Now, today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, and our theme this year is called Hope and Isolation. As I mentioned, 30,000 North Korean believers in concentration camps, prisons all over the world. Uh, you know, I have had friends that, that I've traveled with and know that have been arrested and have spent considerable time in prison. One of them you'll see on the video, his name is Peter Yasik from the Czech Republic, and uh, he was in a cell with Islamists, and they beat him. We know of other believers that, you know, in shipping containers in Eritrea, by themselves, in isolation. Now, here's the interesting thing, is I've talked to some of these guys, and they've said to me, it was amongst some of the most amazing time they had with the Lord. And I'm going, I want to experience that amazing time in the Lord without being imprisoned. But there's hope that we have in Christ. Let's roll the video. All over the world, Christians are separated from family and friends, isolated because of their relationship with Jesus. At 14, Lena had to make a heart-rending choice. Lose everything she knew, including her Muslim family, to follow Jesus in Nigeria. I was very upset and surprised by my father's attitude because I knew he loved me, but he changed and now he wanted to kill me. I was angry and discouraged. I wanted to become a Christian, but I wasn't sure because it might cost me my life. The emotional and physical suffering and isolation has only led to a greater determination by Lena to serve Jesus and to love those who have persecuted her. Czech national Peter Yasik, who serves persecuted Christians, was falsely imprisoned in Sudan. Three Sudanese believers were also arrested. During the 14 months he was detained, Peter was held in five different prisons under horrible conditions and was beaten by other prisoners because he was a Christian. But Peter never lost his hope in Jesus. When I was physically attacked, um, I was uh, experiencing the, the deepest peace in, mine, in my mind. And even though I do not even remember like the pain from uh, those beatings uh, and that moment when I was beaten with the wooden uh, stick. You know, it's hard to see the faces and, and know a little bit of the story. I'll give you an update on uh, some of the girls that we just
featured on the video. So let's go to the first one. This is Leah Sherabu, 14 years old at the time, two and a half years ago uh, in Nigeria. And uh, along with 109 other girls were kidnapped by Boko Haram. She was the only Christian. The others were all Muslim in northern Nigeria. And she could have been released. She just had to do one thing. Deny Jesus and become a Muslim. And the witness of the girls that were able to go back to their families reported to Leah's family that she refused to deny Jesus. Fourteen years old. How does somebody have that kind of resolve? I know people that have been in my life followers of Jesus that no longer follow him. Something happened or they got discouraged or whatever. And yet, this young lady said, no, I will not deny Jesus. Her family, of course, is heartbroken. Uh, the government has been putting pressure on the Boko Haram to try to have her brought back. Her parents say they, they greatly miss her, but on the other hand, are so proud of her. But the Boko Haram told her, okay, you won't do that. You're going to be a slave for the rest of your life. Two and a half years later, she now has a child and has been forcibly married to one of the soldiers of Boko Haram. So please pray for Leah. What's the next one? This 14-year-old Huma, one year ago, her parents were out. This is Pakistan. Her parents were out, and she was kidnapped. She was forced into Islam, and she was violated. The parents went to court with the proof. Here's her birth certificate. She's 14 years old. Our government says you cannot be married until you're 18 without permission from your parents. They just put it off. They ignored them. Often the Christians go to the police stations to report these things and they just blow them off. They won't do anything about it. The fear is now with the court system and the COVID and closing things down that they'll just drag this out you know, she's now 15 until she's 18. She was able to phone her parents and tell them that she's being held in a one room, in a, in one, in a room, small room, where she is constantly being violated. Parents have an idea where she is, but they're told, if you come here, we will kill her and we'll kill you. Now, can I just be honest? I'm a dad. And I got daughters. When I played sports, I led the league in lacrosse and penalties for fighting. So that's part of my personality. I think that's part of the way that I'm wired because I don't think I would be able to do the kind of things that I do because of, you know, if I was like, oh, I'm scared to go, you know, I just, oh, come on, let's bring it on. Now there's times when I, I must admit I am very fearful. You know, there's, when we were surrounded in Nigeria and I thought I was going to get killed that night. It's amazing how your prayer language increases. You know, you know, you know, whatever. Oh, Lord, help, I don't want to die. In fact, these guys in Nigeria, they started banging on the, on the car. Americans, Americans, Canadian, Canada. Oh, Canada, you know. Anyway, we didn't die that night. But, you, but, you know, you're, you're wired in a certain way. And I know, and I pray for this young girl almost every single day. Because even again, this week we heard of another one. Last week we heard of another one. 
I mean, these, it goes on and on. And I think, Jesus, these people that are doing this, do they not know what they're actually raping the body of Christ? When Saul of Tarsus, I'm getting intense now, but when Saul of Tarsus was persecuting the believers, Jesus said, you are persecuting me. Do these Islamists, do these communists, do these radicals not know that when you kill a pastor or you rape a Christian or you burn down a church and kill people, you're actually doing it to the Son of God. And that is the truth. And then yet Jesus says, pray for your enemies. How can I pray for somebody that's doing this to my family? Jesus, you must be thinking of something else here because this doesn't work. Pray for them. Bless them, Jesus said. But if that's my Amelia, or my Linnea, or my Sarah, put your daughter, your sister, your granddaughter, your friend, your wife, in this situation, I'd want to come in with guns. Kill me if you want. I'll die for my family. But you can't do this to these kids. And these governments just seem so inept. I get it why the Christians want to get out of Nigeria and in Pakistan because of the brutality. But that is the reality of what our brothers and sisters in Christ are facing. Now I'm going to close this off here. I know I'm going a little long. I promise I won't go too much longer. Go to the next one, please. These are the guys that were from Eritrea. 2004, I got to meet them. In 2002, because of the growth of evangelical Christianity in that little East African nation of 6 million people by the Red Sea, used to be a part of Ethiopia, the religious leaders, the church leaders, government church, state church, went to the government and said, you've got to stop this. This is an American religion. These are people that are here to undermine our country. In fact, when we went, they accused our team of being CIA spies. It's all fake, but that's what they use. So in 2004, we went down there, and I, and I videoed and did stories, and I think we're some of the last journalists that actually kind of got in there. And, and, they, and at that time, there were thousands of Eritrean evangelicals, and some from the Orthodox Church as well, because they had come into relationship with Jesus too. And they were in prison, in shipping containers, in military camps. Some died. You get, you know, malaria. They won't treat you. Uh, it's just horrible. Many people have left the country. It is, it's like the North Korea of Africa. It's just horrible. So we were there in 2004, and I met these guys, Haliniski, which is in the black and white photo, and Dr. Kiflu Gebremesko, leaders in the, that 10,000-person church in the capital city of Asmara, big evangelical Pentecostal church. And they actually both have connections to Edmonton. And there's things I wish I could share about this story because there's some amazing things that God is doing in the middle of it. You can ask me separately afterwards. It's just there's, again, security issues and sometimes the best, some of the best stories we can't even put online. Uh, and I, my mind just starts racing. Oh, that story. And that, yeah, I, I won't go there. But these guys we met in 2004. A few months after we left, they were arrested. And they are still in prison today. They're family men. Um, I know Holly has three kids and Kiflu has seven. Sixteen years have gone by. These would be adults and they're probably even grandparents at this point. But they're still in prison. Now recently, 
Uh, dozens of evangelical Christians have been released from the prisons of Eritrea, not because of the compassion of the government, which is a dictatorship under Isaiah F. Werke, but because of the coronavirus and the packing of, of, the, of the prisons. It's just jammed. So these believers are being released, and some of them have no family. They're out there, and they, they, you know, so our partner ministry called Release Eritrea in the UK is trying to get them funds. It's difficult, and again, I can't share some of the things because of the, I don't want to put anybody at risk, but we need to be praying for them. And, you know, when the Bible talks about remember those in prison as if you were in prison with them, it's active, not just sort of a passive kind of thing. And, and that, I mean, these are just a few of the stories. I'm just kind of hitting some of the, you know, headlines in a way, but there's so many things that are going on. And I want to close with this. Go to the next one. Because this, I want, to, I want to give us some hope here. I mean, we have hope in Jesus. But you got to, there's the, kind of the, there's the, there's the humas and there's the leas and, you know, there's Pastor Luan's family. There's all the believers that have died or imprisoned. And then there's the big picture of what's happening. So this painting actually will be hanging in your church here. So this is pretty cool. This is done by my wife, Arlene, who's heard me speak many times. And it just feels like this is where the Lord would have me to close most meetings. So this is, uh, if you go to Jerusalem on the, uh, on the old temple there, the East Gate, and some believe that is where, hi, how you doing? Uh, where Stephen, <laughs> trying to sneak up discreetly, right? No attention, right? No, okay. Um, so anyway, they, we were getting sort of the backdoor tour of Israel, and Arlene was with me. And there was a, they said, well, this is where they, many believe, Historians believe this is actually the point where Stephen, the first martyr of the church, was killed, which is an amazing story. I mean, he's being killed, and I kind of think, well, you know, did heaven go silent at that moment? And Jesus said, come on, everybody here. And they're looking over the balcony of heaven. This is my imagination, but it's okay. And to look around, Jesus is, because you know in the Bible, it's Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And you read in the book of Acts, he's actually standing because here comes the first martyr of the church of multiple millions that will die for the sake of the gospel. So Arlene was thinking, well, maybe that's the painting. Jesus standing there, and there's Stephen. And we know, like, even in the middle of, of the rocks coming at him, there was an incredible peace. He's looking up. And he's not worried anymore. He's not like, isn't that awesome? He looks up, and, you know, this is coming up, and there's, there's the king. There's the one called Jesus. The one that died for our sins, the one that is calling people home every day. It's amazing. But then Arlene said, no, I think there's something else the Lord wants me to do in light of, the, you know, this, this verse that I would often end with. So it says when he, this is Revelation 6, when he, Jesus, you can even close your eyes if you want, he, Jesus, opened the fifth seal and I saw under the altar the souls of those who have been slain because the word of God and the testimony they maintained in the midst of hostility and death these martyrs are crying out and it said they did they cried out with a loud voice how long holy and sovereign Lord until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood and then Jesus says he puts a white robe around them and he tells them to wait a little longer until the number of those who were to be killed was completed. 
And I know many have said, why is he not returned? And that was the question in the first century church. Peter said, because the number of those who are to be saved was not yet done. I'm glad he didn't come 40 years ago or I wouldn't have made it. Our brothers and sisters are going to have to put up with a lot of pain and suffering. And some of us will too. But is that worth it? For somebody else to come to know Jesus? Is my death and the death of others or my sacrifices, is it worth it so many more will come? I mean, this phenomenon of Muslims coming into the kingdom of God is unlike anything in history. People are coming to know Jesus. And I pray as we were singing that song today that the fire of God will be in us to proclaim that message. I mean, you read in the book of Hebrews, they were getting beat down. The Roman Christians were getting beat down. And Paul told them, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. I know I'm a little dramatic here. But I actually believe this. Because we live in a time where people are denying Him. The statistics are showing in the United States about half of evangelicals no longer believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. It's one of the ways, but you got, you know, Jesus, you got Muhammad, you got Buddha, you got this and that. There's no wiggle room. It is only in Jesus. So, Father, we thank you for those brave saints that have gone before us and even now in shipping containers and in prison and in concentration camps and the girls that are in these horrible situations because they're followers of Jesus. Lord, I pray you'd break our hearts today for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Father, I know this kind of message can be overwhelming and I pray that it would not, and I speak to every person in the room, don't be overwhelmed. All you can do is what God has asked you to do. To follow Him. Maybe it's a job change. Maybe it's a move. Maybe it's taking a step of faith into something God has called you to do. Maybe it's resurrecting a dream that has been in your heart. And I believe there are some people in this room that there are things in your heart that you have not seen, seen, uh, seen come to fruition. But I pray now, just we just pray the fire of God on these things and help us Lord to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters because I know that when we connect in prayer like that it does something to our spirits to revitalize us Lord as we serve you we bless you and we love you in Jesus name Amen